0: Welcome to the Recession Proof Real Estate Investing Podcast. Join your host, Sam Newell, as he educates you on how to make profitable, low-risk real estate investments that will cash flow through any economy. Hear interviews with the top real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the country to find out what they've learned and implemented since the 2008 recession. With over 10 years in real estate investing, it has become Sam's goal to help others invest for double-digit returns, but to also stay
1: safe and not get caught in the next downturn tune in and become recession proof. All right, Pete, thanks a bunch for being on the show, man. Excited to talk to you today. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. All right. Hey, for our listeners, why don't you introduce yourself really quick. Just tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: My name is Pete Matank. I'm a co-owner of Ameritrue Real Estate and Management. And so we're a Utah-based uh, property management company. Just or in Spanish Fork and just provide rental property
1: management for, for clients, mostly in this local area. And I do have to give you a, a little bit of props. The way I found you was through my mother-in-law. And if you pass off of my, my mother-in-law's uh, lit, litmus test, if, she, if you're good in her book, then you can probably do well for a lot of other clients as well. Cause she's pretty, pretty thorough, I guess you would say.
0: Yeah, um, she's okay. actually a really great client. Um, we, that's yeah, one of the big challenges of property nice. management is different clients, different attitudes, different expectations. And she's uh she has high expectations, mm-hmm. but she's really easy to work with in the sense that she's willing to, to do whatever needs to be done. She's willing to spend money on her properties. She's the kind of owner that's just, like, hey, just do whatever needs to be done. She doesn't even necessarily want to be bothered to approve anything. so it's uh, in that sense, she's really good. but she has keeps up her properties really well, which is makes it easier on us
1: so nice. So nice when people are willing to put money into their properties. There's so many uh, people out there that buy these investment properties and they just think, oh, I'm just going to bleed it dry. I'm just going to, oh, it doesn't really need to be fixed. Just do something cheap. And it it drives me nuts, especially when I'm working with those type of clients. And when they try to sell, they're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So she's very thorough, and, and honestly, I wish um, more of my investors were like her—that educated themselves, that really understood what was going on, and checked in on the property managers. And it, it's a business. You're not just because you get a property manager doesn't mean you're hands off. You still need to understand what's going on with the property. If you think it doesn't need repair and you haven't been there in three years, and you're not giving the property manager any money, it's just a really good example. It would be the hotel I bought. They hadn't been there in two years and they didn't, they would never approve repairs to be done by the the manager. And finally they tried to sell it and realized they had uh, not spent any money on repairs for years and years and, and it was falling apart. So they didn't get a very good price, but yeah, Pete, so so you're with the Maritru, uh Real Estate and Property Management. Um, you're all over Utah. I refer all of my clients to you. So you manage a bunch of townhomes like the ones I own. In Lehigh and all over. So let's talk a little bit about that because that's a little niche that I've been selling a lot of. I don't know how many you manage now for my clients, but it's like 30, 40, something like that, I think. 30 or 40, right? Yeah, there's a lot. So what I realized a few years ago is duplexes and fourplexes, it's hard to make in pencil. The market's so hot. So I looked really hard for something that was. A better deal, and these townhomes are a killer deal for my clients. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about how it is managing those versus maybe other properties?
0: yeah, so there's these you know edge is the builder on uh, this community that you're talking about and and uh, and that so there's they're brand new. Most of the ones that we've been managing for your clients are brand new. They're buying them and while they're under construction of the first owner. so that's nice. We have a usually one year builder warranty up front. EDGE has been really good to work with on that. Um, we've dealt with a lot of other builders, and uh, EDGE has been good for their warranty and easy to communicate with, easy to get them out there and make repairs in that first year period. The HOA is managed really well. We, we've had experience in managing HOAs in the past as well, and uh, so they manage the HOA pretty well. I think they've got a company called, I think it's FCS that's doing it from mm-hmm. Yep. And so their budgets are good, and their, uh, their organization there is good. That makes a big difference. They've got good amenities. So those townhomes, and they're like in an excellent location and they're a really good layout, a good product. So they're able to rent pretty well. And and because of the location and the, the quality of the new construction, we're getting like a premium rent, quite a bit of a premium rent, I would say, compared to other similar sized properties in the valley. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, they've been good They and they provide a pretty good return, I think, for the clients. But one of the challenges we've had with them is just they build those so fast and, and those communities go up, just hundreds of units go up in a year. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and a lot of investors have bought them. And so there was a, a saturation and a, a lot of competition in the market there for a while. Mm-hmm. So we were having to be a little bit creative and to make sure
1: we were competitive and getting
0: units filled quick, quick without letting them sit too long.
1: Um, yeah. I, so I think I handed you a six, six of them all at once with one of my clients. She bought six all in a row. Yeah yeah <laughs> I, was, I was like oh geez good luck pete <laughs> yeah that one was, was never easy to fill six of them all at the same time yeah and no in that
0: one that we she had a, she really was pretty willing she was willing to hold out for a higher rent and and so she did she held out for higher rents on those for a while and, and i think those six units took us longer than we would have hoped for but i think we had got them all filled within like about five months or so
1: yeah, the yeah. thing is, and it's funny you say that. I, I accept lower rent all the time because one or two months <laughs> can wipe out your profitability. I remember talking to her about it. I'm like, just accept the lower rent. Like, it's a rough time of year, and the, there's a ton of them available right now. So accept a little bit lower, and then re up next year on a, at a higher rent. And she just didn't want to. So, you know, I even tried running the calculations with her, and I think she was going to be down a couple thousand and. Anyways, so my recommendation is just get someone in there and get someone in there. You don't have to, and we're not talking hundreds of dollars. I'm sure you were just talking about like 50 bucks or so dropping the price. And anyways, it, it, yeah, it's interesting how some people just, they really want that higher rent amount and they don't think about how much one month of vacancies losing them. Well, cool. So, so yeah, I love the, the edge homes. You said Everything, I think, needs to be said. They have a ton of amenities. They're new. Best builder in Utah, I think, is Edge Homes, and they really stand by their warranty. Location is outstanding next to the Silicon Slopes, all the new jobs, and it's one of the best returns I can find my investors in Utah. And a lot of our California listeners and and investors are worried about buying in an HOA. Have you had any issues with the HOA interfering with your management or these rentals? And
0: that community,
1: uh, no, they've been really
0: good to work with, but in other communities, yes. So there are a lot of HOAs that will have, you know, rental restrictions written into their governing documents. And they'll have a limited number of rental units that they're allowed in the community, sometimes have a waiting list or certain units that are approved as rentals and others that aren't. And so there's a lot of restriction there. And sometimes there's some really gray, poorly written language in the governing documents that will Say you can rent a family, but then how do you define family? And there's, there's a, so there's, HOAs can be challenging for rentals, but, but you just want to make sure you review the, review the governing documents carefully and make sure you understand what you're getting into if you're buying a rental in an HOA. Uh, in general, the HOAs are good because they help enforce the rules. Yep. They, they also monitor the exterior of the, the units and make sure that, that the outsides are being taken care of. And then we'll get notifications from the HOA if, if uh, there's some violation, like they've got cars parked on the lawn or something crazy like that. Right. And uh, so they're generally helpful. It makes it so you don't have to worry about hiring landscaping. Well, in most HOAs, they're going to take care of the landscaping and the snow removal. Yeah. So, It it removes that. It also makes it so you don't have to budget it as carefully for capital improvements, roofs and exterior things and new driveways and asphalt, where you would do that with other duplexes and and fourplexes or other single family homes, hopefully, but the HOA is budgeting properly for that. That's something you want to look at when you're buying in an HOA is if, especially if it's established and it's existing, do they have proper reserves set aside? Have they done a a reserve analysis study? Do they, have they prepared for, for the, the, what everybody knows is going to happen eventually, your new roofs and new parking lots and right. those things. And because otherwise you buy a property and then a couple of years down the road, you're going to get slapped with a, a special assessment, have to come out of pocket a couple thousand dollars to, to cover these capital improvements. So, so HOAs are good, but you just don't go, don't go into them naive thinking that, you know, that. Oh, it's in an HOA. Don't worry about it much because there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to look at, and definitely each HOA is not not created equal.
1: That's a really good point. And for the most part, um, comparing to my California clients and what they've told me, the HOAs in Utah are so much better, less strict. They really just they're very helpful, and and I will only buy properties in an HOA in Utah now because it's been so much easier. Just like you were saying, so much easier and and less hassle. But off the top of my head, I can think of two HOAs, one in Saratoga Springs, one in Lehigh, who absolutely screwed over their their owners and they did not budget enough. They spent money on dumb things, to be frank. And actually what happened is they ran out of money and then no one could sell their townhomes for years because they were in a lawsuit. And then they didn't have enough money to fix certain things, and they they were in a lawsuit with the builder because they blamed him. and And I think it was set up poorly by the builder in both situations. And anyway, so yeah, really good point. HOAs are not created equal. Make sure you understand what's going on with them, what the, where their budgets are at. I know this one in Lehigh already has like two point five million in their reserve bucket, basically to take care of those roofs and driveways and Things that may need to be replaced in the future, so that's really good news. Um, the, or, go ahead. Sorry, just on that, the, a lot of times I see builders that are marketing
0: brand new construction and they're putting a really low HOA fee. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and they're and just for them, it does, it's no skin off their back because they're just uh, they're just estimating, but they're estimating extremely low. Maybe it's an eighty dollar or a sixty dollar month HOA fee, and and that's just attractive initially to get people in. But if if you don't, if they don't have a real a real good budget put together at least a proposed projected budget with accurate numbers and expenses on there then after the builder finishes the project and turns it over to the homeowners they're gonna they're gonna have to look at that closer and they're gonna have to raise those dues and, and they're gonna jump up to cover the losses over the last few years while the builder was developing it so yep. you want to make sure that you're not getting uh you know too excited about a low hoa fee on a new construction or even on an existing construction you really look at it and say, what should they be
1: charging? What do they need to be charging and expect plan on that happening at some point? Yes, sir. Yeah. I've seen HOAs jump as much as $100 a month yeah. once the, the residents or the owners actually take over and look at the budget. So that, that can be crazy. But let's talk about expenses, owning a rental property. Here in Utah, let's say I own a duplex, it's 30 years old, you know, it's in pretty good shape. The, the last owner took pretty good care of it. Do you mind just running us through the expenses and what an owner can expect to pay on a yearly basis? Yeah. So I
0: mean you've got the, the basic expenses that you have on pretty much every property, obviously property taxes, insurance, and then assuming you have mortgage on it, you have your debt service, whether or not you pay cash for it. And then beyond that, our property management. And so we manage mostly. Uh, single family units and, and townhomes and condos and stuff so our stuff is all spread out it's not very there's not a lot of good economy of scale i know you talk a lot about multifamily properties and the benefits of those so we're opposite of that. we manage a few like 10 and 15 unit apartment buildings but uh, for the most part we're all over the place and so to make if, it make if any the sense, returns
1: good enough i'll do single family all day or, yeah so that's so the we're thing at, yeah eight
0: yeah. percent for the most part on most of our kind of our standard pricing eight percent management fee is what we is what we charge. And then beyond that, so you've got taxes insurance management fee, and then we need we budget for some vacancy, and about a four percent annual vacancy is is pretty realistic in our market, so you know essentially that works out to where you're probably going to have your unit vacant for maybe two weeks out of the year, two to three weeks out of the year rent and then and then you want to budget for some repairs, just like normal operating repairs. this would be fixing your uh, broken doorknob or. Or leaky sink, or replacing a garbage disposal, or maybe a water heater, whatever. How else, often
1: right? does that kind of stuff actually come up? Is it does each owner pay stuff every year, or do, you, do generally they get hit with a bad tenant? With, with mine, I rarely had to fix stuff, but I, I've always had mostly newer properties, except for the few flips I've done. I just, it's really there's,
0: it's hard to predict those things. And so we budget, like when we're looking at a property, we help owners budget for that on an annual basis, just as a percentage. And usually what we say is, is about three to 5% of your gross rents should be budgeted for just normal operating repairs. There might be a year or two years where where they don't have any expenses, especially if we don't have a tenant turnover. A lot of times we'll defer normal little cosmetic repairs, like maybe there's some, I don't know, peeling paint or some frayed carpet or something minor that it's just going to be more of a hassle and, and more disruptive to the tenant to make the repair while they're living in the property. And unless the tenant really is asking for it or wanting it, we'll defer it until turnover. And so you might have some of those repairs that are accumulating, but they're deferred till turnover.
1: Um, do you obviously ever have the tenant-, the tenant do some of that stuff on their own? Let's say like one of my tenants broke the toilet seat or it broke. They don't know how it broke, of course. In my lease, I actually have, if it's under a $50 repair, they actually have to do it themselves, as long as it wasn't something that I should have already had fixed.
0: Yeah, I mean, we don't generally. We try to avoid that just because we want to maintain good, make sure that we have a quality workmanship and that the things are getting done properly. But the tenants do it a lot, and especially if they know they're going to pay for it. So we can charge tenants for anything that was caused by misuse, abuse, or neglect. Those are the standard. That's the right. simple answer I give all, all my clients. Is, And so if we can prove and it's obvious that the tenant damaged something through misuse, abuse or neglect, then what we'll try to do is we'll get it fixed by a professional and then we'll bill the tenant back that charge. But if they know that they're going to be responsible for it, oftentimes they'll just fix it themselves. And, and as long as it's done well and done properly, we're not overly concerned about it. We just we don't want to encourage that because. A toilet seat's pretty simple. If there's something more significant, we don't want to encourage that because then there's like some added liability where they're making a yeah. repair and they cause damage, and they're like, "Hey, you told me to fix this, and I, I didn't tighten this fitting, and I flooded the unit." And you know, if there's <laughs> yeah, there, good point.
1: So. Good point. Well, here's a good but, example for you. I had a tenant in my townhome hadn't changed the, and I I make them a ch- text me every month that they've changed the air filter, mm-hmm. um, especially if they have dogs. And she texted me, texted me, and then she's like, Hey, my furnace isn't, my AC's not working. It's not getting cold and there's, it's leaking all over the place. And I'm like, Oh, great. So I go over there, and the air filter literally hadn't been changed in months. It's completely clogged, matted with dog hair, disgusting. And I'm like, Well, of course you're not getting cool. The furnace can't breathe, and you've been lying for the last six months about changing the air filter. So like, oh, I meant to. I yeah. said, so You're calling a furnace uh, specialist you're going to pay them to come out here and fix this. She's like, my husband will look at him like, no, no, never mind. I'm just going to send you a bill. (laughs) But they had completely destroyed. There's five parts in the furnace that just stopped working because it was that clogged. They had three dogs. That's a really good point. I I try not to have them do anything other than if they chip paint, if they break the toilet seat, really minor stuff. But yeah, if it has to do with water, electrical, anything other than just painting and, and replacing a handrail or something like that, then I definitely don't want the tenants doing it.
0: When we, I even see tenants that paint. Not, not all tenants can paint the same quality. And they get it all over the doorknobs and the hinges and on the ceilings and on places where paint's not supposed to be. And even patching nail holes, some people they'll put a huge glob of something <laughs> on the you know, patch a, it, patched, a, a nail hole, and it's just it's worse than it was leaving the hole there. Yeah. But yeah, some people do good a good point. job. And, and ultimately, what we do is we'll just go through and do a final inspection, and anything that was that needs attention or needs to be repaired after they move out, we'll we'll address it and. And uh, repair it and charge the tenants for it.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And as a, I manage my own units because they're literally five minutes from my house, and I usually talk to the tenants once a year, mm-hmm. ask them if they want to re up or not. If they don't, I find a new tenant. It Takes me a couple days. And anyways, but yeah, that's a really good point. I I probably need to have them do less. I think I've just lucked out so far, except for that furnace. Anyways, so. Let's move on. I'm curious, what, how do you see the Utah market currently as, as a rental market? I know coronavirus has thrown us through a loop. It was so strong there for a while, but tell me what you're seeing now as a property management in the Utah rental market.
0: So I sent you a, a link to an article just the other day, actually. Yep. And so that was interesting. It was an article on about how rent's increasing in Utah compared to nationwide. And in the past, I would say, from every, for, since I've been really paying attention to it closely, mostly the last four or five years, I've been seeing in all the economic, economy reports and seminars and stuff I've gone to, they're always projecting average rent increases have been around the 8% annually in Utah for the last while. And, I, and that seems to be consistent. On $1, a $1,000 month rental, we're able to raise the rent about $80 a year for the last few years, at least three or four years. And every property is going to be probably slightly different, and just whatever. But, but that article said that Utah had, had stayed on par with the... So it said that Utah had increased at um, 2%, if I remember right. Now I'm forgetting the numbers on it, but no, that's wrong. National average rent increase over the last 12 months. And this includes the whole coronavirus thing. And if you look at the graph, there's like a spike... In February, and then it started to drop a little bit. So it's it's it was increasing more, but it's averaged out over the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, was over national average was like 0.2 percent. Okay, rent increase. So pretty much a flat rental market national average. Salt Lake City specifically decreased for the first time in in years, and it it had a 0.1 percent decrease from from what it was earlier, and then. Ogden market, Ogden City had like a like 0.9% increase. And, and then the national, the state average was, uh, was like a 2% increase. So Ogden was almost 1%. State was 2%. I think they didn't, the article didn't mention like Utah County, which is where we are. So I think most of that additional increase is probably happening in Utah County. So I think we've yeah. seen probably more like a, maybe like a 3% increase um, right. over the last year.
1: What's interesting, uh, just to dive a little deeper into your Salt Lake numbers, um, looking at CoStar and all the different articles, they've had a huge amount of A-class luxury apartments come online in the last year. And they're actually struggling. So if you're an A-class owner or one of these developers building these luxury, really nice uh, apartments, they're actually struggling. They've had rent drops. They're actually struggling to fill them quite a bit. So if we take Salt Lake City out of the equation, I think you're right. I think we're close to three, 4% increase. I just re-upped all my tenants for another year in my townhomes. And I said, hey, it's going up X amount of dollars. And they're like, fine, I don't want to have to move. And it's more everywhere else I look anyways. So I think you're right. I think Utah County is still growing quite a bit.
0: And we, so yeah,
1: the... The rents are still
0: increasing slightly, but this summer, particularly, things have been a little bit more mellow for us than usually summer is our busy season. We try to make most of our leases renew between like April and October. Right. just find that it, it's more difficult in the middle of the winter. And so usually this time of year, we're just crazy busy with, with a lot of tenant turnover, a lot of new leasing. Mm-hmm. And this year has been a little more mellow. I think coronavirus has actually caused people to hunker down and just stay put. And so we're having exactly a lot Exactly what I've been telling moves. people. Yeah, we have a lot more renewals and we haven't been pushing the rent increase too hard on the renewals just because we don't want to have the vacancy right now with the uncertainty. But, but for the most part, yeah, people are, are staying put. They're renewing their leases. People are still paying their rents. We, haven't had, we didn't have a major delinquency issue with, with it this spring. Utah governor had an had a eviction uh, moratorium for about a month and a half. And we set up a few payment plans with some tenants, but really it wasn't, it was pretty minor. Almost everybody was able to pay their rent on time, you know, as expected. We had right. really very little impact from that. And,
1: and the guess- good thing that our, our government said and our governor specifically said, hey, there's a moratorium on evictions, but you still have to pay. This is not an excuse to just not pay rent. And we haven't had nearly the job loss or we haven't been impacted nearly as much as some markets has have been. So yeah, I think you're right. And on all my rentals and my investors that I know, we were all, and maybe there's a few I didn't talk to, but we were all hundred percent rent collected through, through today. So, so we're yeah. doing pretty darn good.
0: Yeah. As far as my outlook on the rental market in general in Utah is, and I, I don't have a crystal ball or whatever, but <laughs> I, I feel like the rent has not been keeping up with the real estate pricing. And so we have a couple clients that are looking to purchase rentals right now. And, and I don't know if you're experienced the same thing lately, yep. but but the the market's just crazy. Like we're getting multiple offers on anything that's good. Anything that's good comes up and it's this is in the single family townhome condo market. Anything that's good, it's under contract in a day or two.
1: We've yep. had even a property recently, like 17 offers on it. <laughs> Other properties It might you know, have been my duplex. I had 17 <laughs> offers on that one. All above ask. Asking price offers the one we went with, zero due diligence, like twenty thousand earnest money, non-refundable day one, no appraisal contingency. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's just really competitive, and and values are continuing to climb pretty steadily. And you could probably speak to that better than me, but but I guess my concern or my thought is, I really just don't see rents increasing at the same pace that that home prices are increasing, and I think that's been the case for the last you know, four or five years. Even when we were getting seven, eight percent rent increases, they were getting ten percent appreciation on real estate properties. We're seeing like if I'm penciling out a an analysis on a property and I'm looking at like a a cap rate on a single family home, which is you know not so typical, but we're looking at like four percent, four and a half percent. If I can find a property right now that's performing at about a four and a half percent return or four and a half percent cap rate, then
1: that's about as good as I'm finding in the Utah market right <laughs> yeah. now. It's so hard, man. And I, I had an investor asking me why that is. Why are prices still climbing so fast and rents have leveled off a little bit? And a good example of this is I bought my, one of my townhomes three years ago. I put it under contract three years ago, and I was estimating $1,650 a month for rent. And I was pretty happy with that based on what I paid. By the time I closed on it, rents were at $1,800. It, was, it, it took eight months to build. Yeah. And it was just mind boggling that and, and then they jumped to 1850 and, and then I rented it out for 1900 the next year and it's just crazy. But really it's, it has stayed at the 1800 to 1900 level for the last two and a half years. So I think you're absolutely right. But prices, for example, I bought one of those for 230,000. Now I have clients paying 330,000 for the exact same product. Yeah. And rents are basically the same. So I'm going to get a difference in rent for a couple of years newer. Really, I mean, maybe no. slightly. Newer. Yeah, it's well, mine's rented for 1,900. So that's, yeah. <laughs> you're exactly right. It's exactly the same. So yeah, it's very interesting. And and I was telling a client the reason that is you have these investors from California, these family offices, or these people that are 1031 exchanging out of these uh, low return, low yield markets. When I say low, they're selling at like a two and a half, three, four cap. And when they find a four and a half, a five, five and a half cap rate here in Utah, they're ecstatic and yeah. they're paying cash. And, and yeah, rents haven't changed, but prices still are because of that, because of these investors. So what I'm thinking is that's not going to change until the California market changes. If I put a property up for sale right now, 80% of the buyers that call me are, are California buyers because there's a lot of, still, even with coronavirus, a lot of money coming from Asia, a lot of money coming from Europe, from wherever, you name it, coming into California because they want that appreciation or there's jobs coming there and, or whatever it is. So it's very well, interesting. I,
0: I had an interesting conversation with uh, my brother-in-law the other day. He actually works for a venture, venture capital firm and, and we were just discussing the, the market locally. And uh, the idea came up that really with coronavirus and everything that's going on, people are fleeing the big cities around yeah. the country. And they're, don't, they're realizing they don't have to be local. They can work remotely pretty much from anywhere, or yeah. they're unemployed or they're out of work in the big city and they're paying high rent. And so it makes sense, I'll we'll just break my lease and move somewhere that's more affordable, different cost of living. The cities are all shut down, so there's really no benefit in living in a big city right now. And plus, there's riots and there's everything else crazy going on in yeah. the cities. I think that's, there's probably a lot of truth to that, I think, and that, maybe that's why we saw the, the decrease in rent in Salt Lake City, but we're seeing such an increase and in, such a high demand in maybe the outskirts suburban areas uh, yeah. of that. Like, you know, people are leaving the cities and, and looking for more of a suburban rural, you know, area. And, and so yeah. I think it's just really pushing the demand up in, in our area specifically, so.
1: I think you're right man. A good example is our mutual client Grace Sang. She lives in uh, San Jose. Mm-hmm. She has a 450 she we just talked about this Friday. She has a 450 square foot apartment. She pays 3000 a month for. <laughs> and uh she's like I got to get out of the city. She's like, she needs a bigger apartment because she has two girls mm-hmm. that stay with their dad all the time. And they, they're like look mom we love you, but it's four hundred square feet. Like we, we yeah. have no room. We're on top of each other. There's one bedroom. So she's look, Sam. If I want to go get even a thousand square foot apartment, I can't afford it. It's six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month to stay in eight hundred to a thousand square foot apartment. So she's maybe I'll just move to Florida or Utah, and I'll buy a mansion for three thousand dollars <laughs> a month. <laughs> I'm like yeah, you can get a pretty darn darn big house for three thousand a month here in Utah. So, yeah, I, I think you're right on. Hey, we're running out of time here, but I, I really want people to reach out to you. I think you and Amaretto do a really good job. I think it's really important that they, any rental property owner, stays in touch with the property. It's not. It's never a hands-off investment, no matter how good the property manager is, because when something comes up, you need to be educated and and understand. Why they're asking you to repair things, or why they're a good example of the is this of this is the rental market? If you're telling people to lower by fifty bucks a month, you're saying because you understand the market. So people need to stay educated. But any other tips or thoughts or anything you want to promote about your company before we finish up here?
0: Yeah, so we'd love to promote us a little bit. We're uh, so it's Ameritrue Real Estate Management. You can check us out on our our website is Ameritrue.com we don't do a super great job of social media marketing. I think we have a Facebook page somewhere out there. And, and then, yeah, we manage rental property all, all throughout Utah. For the most part, we, we stay close to the Wasatch Front, but in Utah, we, uh, we'd love to, to discuss uh, anything that you're looking at buying rental properties here. And we, we can help analyze it, give you a good rent analysis, make sure that your projections are going to be accurate and your plans are going to be hit what you expect. So we like to work with our clients as closely as possible. And, and, like you said, owning around own a property is not going to be completely hands-off, but we try to make it as as simple and as worry and hassle-free as possible for our clients. A lot of our clients do live out of state. A lot of them have never seen their properties. We do regular inspections, so we send inspection reports with pictures regularly, about three times a year to our clients. And then we'll call and review those reports and discuss maintenance needs and planning and budgeting and projections for that. Uh, we keep in touch and explain as needed for maintenance needs and for vacancy and leasing and, and so. Good, good communication is, is what we try to provide to our clients and, and make sure that they have all the information they need to make an informed decision on their own and, and that they're involved with their property to the level that they want to be involved. Yeah, or you, you're welcome to call my cell phone too. That's, you know, if you're interested in it, that's probably a great, uh, the quickest way to get something where I'll answer. So it's 801 602 6933. You reach me personally. It's Pete with Ameritrue Real Estate and Management.
1: And I'll put all your info in in the show notes as well. And Pete, one thing that we forgot to mention is you guys have in-house um, maintenance and construction crews, which can really have you can have much better quality control that way, and save the customers a little bit of money. So that's one value play that I really like about Ameritrue as well. We just you and I just met on Friday at one of our clients' houses, and you guys are moving a wall, I think, beaming a wall, and having yeah. an electrician come in. So that's a really nice thing as well because. If you're waiting for weeks to get stuff done because you got to find the right contractor, that can be tough. So it's a really good value play. And I really appreciate that about you guys having your own teams and really being able to control that construction and maintenance aspect for your customers. Cool, man. Lastly, I, I want to talk about your family and what you like to do. I know you're a fly fisherman because uh, we have mutual friends and you used to be a fly guide and that's yeah. a fly fishing guide. That's awesome. But I, I know you've got a couple of kids. Tell me about your family and what you do when you're not doing uh, real estate property management.
0: So yeah, I'm married. I've got uh, three kids. So we've got a 10 year old girl, an eight year old boy, and then we have a four month, four and a half month old boy as well. So Got a nice. big gap and then we've got a, a newborn all back again. So yeah, as far as what I do, yeah, I, I used to fish a lot and that leads into how I got into real estate and stuff a little bit, but I used to work as a fishing guide before, uh, while I was really starting to get into real estate investing. I don't hardly fish anymore. It's one of those things that's just yep. faded away. I, I get out a couple times a year all. I'll, I'll spend some time, I really like hunting. I spend a lot of time hunting in the mountains and, and mountain biking and trying to get a little bit more of an active recreation lately to get some exercise combined with it but as i'm getting older
1: same here man I, I don't fish nearly as much. i went on saturday on the provo river caught probably one of the biggest fish i've ever seen on the provo really fat rainbow but same as you got some kids love to get outdoors that's a beautiful thing beautiful thing about utah and honestly one big reason people are moving here is you can work you can run a large property management company like pete And then if you have a couple hours off to go get some exercise, you can run up to the mountains and mountain bike, hike, fly fish and do whatever you want. Take your kids out. What do your kids like to do?
0: Um, We spend a lot of time just camping. So we try to get out and just camp on the weekends. And and honestly, they're at the age where sometimes it's like pulling teeth. to get them to go do certain things like on a mountain bike ride or something. But They'll go with us sometimes. Sometimes they enjoy it. Sometimes they complain. (laughs) <laughs> they just like playing in the dirt and throwing rocks and just <laughs> entertain. I will say I was really proud of my kids. Last fall, we hiked Mount Timp, Mount Timpanogos. Oh, wow. And so my nine-year-old and seven-year-old at the time, they made it to the summit. No way. And, uh, it's 11,000 plus feet. It's the highest mountain in the area. And uh, it was like a 16-hour hike, We were just like all day long. We started at like, five in the morning. They made it. And I was like, I was so proud of them. Like, it was awesome. So they'll do stuff like that sometimes, and, but other times it just depends on the mood. Of their kids.
1: Yeah, I have a two and a half year old, six and a half year old. Our our activities include riding bikes and swimming. That's basically all we do. We were at Deer Creek yesterday at the lake swimming all day. So, yeah. look, we're going to finish up. It's I, I know you're family man, and I think that's important for our, a lot of our investors really appreciate that, and I, I know I know they are too. And I, I wanted to learn a little bit about you, but we jumped right into real estate. So wanted to circle back to that but pete i really appreciate you being on i really appreciate you and your company taking care of my clients because it's always really awkward for me if in the past when i've uh, referred them to other property managers that dropped the balls that's why i keep sending people to you so i appreciate that but yeah man we'll keep sending clients your way and appreciate you being on okay thanks sam